Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 72 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about USC, especially football. We talk about some basketball as well. Uh, Today is July 1st, 2009, and it's our 72nd episode, as I said. we got a really good show for you today. We're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde. We'll have Dan Weike in there. We're going to talk some recruiting. Later on the segment, we had the uh, Rising Stars Camp. We had to do our podcast one day early last week because the Rising Stars Camp was on Wednesday and Thursdays when some of the top prospects all over the country come into camp at USC and get evaluated by the coaches. A lot of offers went out, so we'll cover all of that later on the podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address and we're going to talk with coach Hyde in the first segment he's with us from catalina island coach what's going on over in the island well i tell you what i just finished my workout here this morning and it's a little overcast but it, the weather's been absolutely fabulous i'm over here for the fourth of july weekend and you know the usc band comes over here they come over on uh, friday night and they march here in the uh, july 4th parade and then they have a concert at the casino on on July 4th evening, and then on Sunday morning, they go back to campus. They have the whole barge full of their instruments and so on, and really it's a lot of fun over here. I really enjoy it here, and don't worry, my dog is with me. You won't <laughs> hear the dog. I shut the door, okay? Okay. That's... <laughs> but uh, she loves it over here, and if there's a, if the lines get a little uh, wobbly or you can't hear us or uh, smeared a little bit, there's water in the line. Let's, okay. just, let's, just, let's just call it that, okay? It's a long way to go, all that, the Catalina there with the, these... Uh phone lines here but um well coach just wanted to thank our sponsor for the segment southern california tickets sctickets.com is the website 1-800-888-7287 concert sporting events theater and uh was just watching tv this morning and they were talking about spam a lot and that's playing i think it's the Amundsen. they're playing somewhere in la so i was going to give them a call and uh get some tickets for that show because that should be a lot of fun I'll tell you, if you and I are buying our tickets there, then everybody else ought to take advantage of it, too, because you're always gonna, you can be in the front row or the side or the balcony. You can be anywhere you want at any type of event. All right. Well, thanks to sctickets.com. I'm definitely going to be calling Curtis up there. Go to spam a lot. I just heard that was a lot of fun. Uh, but we have, we have some questions, Coach, and there was a, a, one big one we're going to get to that will probably be the topic for most of this segment. But first off, we had one from Patrick in Chicago. He wanted to know, do you think Coach Carroll plans his scheme first and then recruits players to fit that scheme, or does he recruit the best players possible and then build a scheme to fit around them? Well, in watching uh, Pete Carroll and watching what he's done, uh, I think he recruits the top players that he can get anywhere in the country. And then he puts them into his scheme and finds a place for them to play in his scheme. I think that he wants great athletes, and he'll find a place for them to play. Uh, if they're a, a running back and he thinks his college position might be a linebacker, and a lot of players have done that, as you know, then he'll he'll create that place for him to play in his schemes. He runs the same defense every year, maybe adjusts us a little bit here and there, runs the same offense every year. In fact, even now with Jeremy Bates and Johnny Morton as the offensive coordinator. Nothing has changed. You've been to all the spring practices and scrimmages and so on. It's the same offense with a few tweaks here and there. That's why I'm really looking forward to this coming year to see just what changes there might be with the offense. Rocky Cito is now the defensive coordinator from Nick Holt, and I don't think anything will change from there because that's Pete Carroll's offense, and it's really Pete Carroll's defense too. Remember, when you're the head coach, you approve both schemes on what's going on on both sides of the ball. And you're really aware of the game plans each week of what the defense is doing and how the offense is planning on attacking the defense of the opponent and so on. So you know what's going on. So, yes, you do recruit the top athletes, and then you find a place for them to play in your offense. Now, if you go into a situation where you're a new coach 
and you you don't have enough talent and 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 so on, then sometimes you do recruit the, and you take the players that are there at that school, and you try to find an offense or find a defense that best fits them, so you can get going with your program and and, and establish some type of pride and and, and 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 success. And then as you get going, and then you can start recruiting the next year to your type of player that you want to fit into your scheme or your offense or your defense. So sometimes it's a combination of both. I mean, if you have a quarterback that can't run, then you're not going to run a, a type of offense of an option or a or, or spread or a tiger, as they call it, or wildcat, depending what offense you want to call it, unless your quarterback can run and run, run option and so on. And, and you've got to be a tough kid, too, but he's going to get hit a lot. So, you know, I really think that you have a philosophy. Uh, the players coming into your school or university know what your philosophy is. They know where they fit. They watch all the games. There's more players know more today about coaches and offenses and defenses and and so on than players ever knew before because of the exposure on the internet, the exposure on television, and so on. They can almost themselves look at a team and say, "This is where I fit at this position." And uh, so it's a combination of both player and coach. But really, it's. When you're in an established program like Ohio State, they run what they run at Ohio State. But they've developed the the spread for a prior. They had to do that there because that's the type of athlete he is. They would be, it would be crazy to recruit him unless you're going to take advantage of him. So that's what they've done. Florida's always taken advantage of their formation, what they run. They have a running athlete like Tim Tebow. And, and, uh, but, you know, you look at Oklahoma, they, they're like SC. They have Bradford. They don't run... Bradford much. Now, Texas will run Colt McCoy. They'll run him more than what uh, I would really want to because you really don't want to get him knocked out. And he's been knocked out a couple of times. So you've got to be really careful when you have a star like that. You don't want him to get hit, believe me. So I, I think it's a combination. But at SC, you recruit the top athletes in the nation. And then you find where they play in your program and what position. I, I agree with you 100%, Coach, just to see the way Carroll goes after guys. I mean, he really looks around, and when he says a kid's out of state, I want him to be a you know a, a first-round NFL draft pick. I mean, he's really going after the best athletes possible. So, you know, maybe someday he would change a scheme for particular athletes and stuff, and they, they have adapted some things. They went to, like, that elephant formation, changed things around a little bit when they wanted to get Cushing on the field, um, you know, a couple of years ago. But, you know, but it, for the most part, I think you're right. I mean, it's just he's going to get the athletes and then and, and make them fit into the system. And they're usually good enough athletes that they could play pretty much any system. So um, the next topic, Coach, this is uh, from one of our female listeners, uh, Liz. And um, we have some – did you know we have female listeners, Coach? Well, I sure hope we do. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them on I Facebook. We, we got a lot of comments on there, so it's good stuff. That's great. We love football fans. and We don't care who they are. Just send in uh, your questions. We'll be happy to answer them. Remember, there isn't any question that you think might be embarrassing or stupid to ask. Ask anything that you want to find out, and we'll do our best answer. We will definitely do our best. And uh, Liz brings up a topic we talked about briefly. I believe it was last week, and it's the the uh, proposed uh, the proposal that went through in the Pac-10, where they wanted to eliminate the overnight stay of a home football or basketball team uh, in a hotel. So uh, usually, you know, a visiting team would come in, stay in a hotel, and all the players are sequestered. And the same thing happens with home uh you know for football games usc stays over the hotel across i think radisson or something across uh you know across figueroa from campus um you know and, and a lot of basketball teams do the same thing as well it gives the chance you know the the team a chance to just you know, watch film and be sequestered and kind of be on a loving level playing field with the visiting team and and what she brought up was she didn't think it was fair if the home team was not able to prepare the same way a visiting team might looking at film bonding with the team and she also brought up a point that I didn't even think about. It affects fans like me who stay at the team hotel as part of the experience of having my season tickets. Um, she says she makes a whole weekend out of it. So, I mean, she likes to see the coaches and the players before the game. And it's a tradition with her. And I think a lot of other people do as well. So she didn't, she w- didn't want them to pack them to pass this proposal. And if, if they did, she'd need to cancel hotel reservations and stuff like that. And I, I did a little research, Coach, and basically the Pac-10 – Council, which is 30 members, uh, three from each team representing each team, met. I think it was June 3rd, June 4th, early June, uh, up in San Francisco, 
And what they came up, you know, they, their proposal was to eliminate um, the, uh, the football team and basketball team hotel stays, you know, before the game, like, like uh, Liz talked about. Also eliminate international trips. A lot of, it's mostly with basketball teams. They do these international little tours and stuff that can be kind of expensive and also printed media guides. And they put that before the NCAA. Uh, but from what I've read and from what I've researched a little bit, the NCAA, the earliest they would actually be able to look at that is sometime in August. And at least, you know, some of the people felt that if they implemented this, it wouldn't be something that would happen for probably two years. So at least for Liz's hotel reservations for this year, I don't think she has to worry about that. Um, but just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that, Coach. I guess we can we can talk about each of them. But first, the uh, the hotel stays. I mean, you've been a head coach. What does that? What does a team get out of that? And, and how important do you think is that to a team? Well, I think it's very important, and I don't see that rule passing. Uh, I think the coaches themselves will step in and say, "No, we're not going to allow." We make the money as far as the football programs make the money, and we we need to do this. It is an unfair advantage if the visiting team is able to stay together and. Uh, and not be distracted from fans and so on, and have a floor in a hotel and so on, and the visiting and the home team can't do that. And it all started back where you wanted your players all together. It wasn't as much as the preparation, but you are prepared. But what happens? Players uh, get distracted. People know where the players live. People come by and visit them and bother them all night. And, and what was happening? Players were starting to go home if they lived near school or they were starting to go to other people's apartments to sleep so people wouldn't bother them. And then you had a few of the players that really didn't have the discipline not to go out. So, you know, some players would go out and be out at a later hour than what they should be or be talked into uh, maybe having a beer or something and so on. And, And it just was too many loose ends, too many loose ends. So, you know, I always wanted our team in a hotel. I always found a hotel that was somewhat secluded or a place where people wouldn't bother them, and you always had a complete floor where you had the security and you had a security guard on at the elevators so nobody would, you know, come up the floor, up the stairs and, and so on, and you had a curfew hour. And I think, you know, it, it you know, the players liked it. I really think the players liked it because you you protect them from – their friends or people suggesting that, oh, just come over for a little while, or they, they didn't have to go home, or they didn't have to find a place to be. And in the morning, you get up and you all eat together, and you have your meetings the night before, and you have your last meetings in the hotel before you leave for the stadium. And not only that, now you even tape. You do your early taping, pre-taping in the hotels before you leave for the stadium. They have all these rooms set up for you where you go in and get taped up. And so when you get to the stadium, you already taped as far as your ankles and so on, and and you don't have to go through that rush at the stadium in the locker rooms, which allows you to leave later for the stadium rather than having to be in the stadium three hours before a game or two and a half hours before a game because you have to go there, you have to get taped. In a hotel, you have a regular schedule. You say, okay, all tackles come down at at 9.30, tackles get taped, and they go back to their room. Then at, at 11 o'clock or 10.30, all linebackers come down. So that you're not sitting or waiting in the locker room, everyone in the stadium waiting to get taped. So there are so many reasons why you want to stay in a hotel, to protect the players, to be able to get more done, to be able to get you, to be more organized, to leave at the same time, to have your police escort there. And also there always used to be that problem where you had to wait for a kid or the kid's car didn't start or or he didn't wake up in the morning and 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 so that the whole team or you left him or you had to suspend him because he wasn't there on time for the buses or that pregame meal so why have all those problems when you have them in a hotel they're all there they all get their wake-up call they all have a roommate they all get up and you we used to uh book our rooms like two quarterbacks in the same room so they could talk about game plan. The two guards are in the same room so they could talk about blocking schemes. The two tackles were in the same room so they could talk about blocking schemes. Or you could have the strong side, weak side. Or you have the corners or you have the safeties in the same room as far as roommates. So that, you know, if they have a question during the night or during the time they're in the room relaxing before a game, they could discuss their assignments there at at the at the hotel, where back on campus, 
they don't even live together, a lot of them. So they can't talk about this. So it gives them extra time to prepare and relax, and no one bothers them. And on Saturday, if you have a late game, they're there in the hotel all day, and they wait there rather than be around town. And they, well, I think I'll, I'll run over and get some shopping done, or I've got to go to the cleaners, or I've got to go here, or I've got to go there. Because kids aren't going to sit in their hotel room or their apartment all day waiting for a 7 o'clock game or when you leave for the uh, stadium. So I think it's a must. I don't think they'll change that rule, and I don't think they'll change its tradition because I'm going to tell you what, hotels love it, and before they'd allow that to happen, they'll give the teams better rates to stay in the hotel because they want the boosters to stay there too. But as you see, teams don't spend money in a hotel. Teams don't go to the, the bars. Teams have a special meal prepared for them. They eat at a special time. They go back to their rooms, or they go to meetings, and they go back to their rooms. But boosters, boosters hang out, stay up all night, have a lot of fun, party, do all their things, spend money, and then get ready to go to the game. So hotels will work around this, and hotels already lower the rate that teams are paying. It's not the normal rate a visitor would pay to get these hotels, these teams to stay in hotels. Like UCLA. Now, I know UCLA stays at what was the Ritz-Carlton in Pasadena. And that's a pretty fancy hotel. Now it's the Langham. Uh, so, you know, they, they stay in Pasadena at the Ritz-Carlton. People come in and stay there. That's where Notre Dame stays, too, when they play USC, when UCLA isn't staying there. And, you know, that's a pretty nice hotel. So they give them a nice rate. They have them there, and it's close to the Coliseum. No, I mean, it makes sense, Coach. It seems like the proposal is kind of penny-wise and pound-foolish, where it's the expense compared to, you know, it, you know from what I read, maybe you're talking about $5,000 a game or $6,000 a game. Uh, it, it's a drop in the bucket compared to, like, the, you know, millions of dollars in the athletic budget, and you could be giving a team a significant disadvantage, competitive disadvantage. And also you could put teams in jeopardy where, say, a, a USC, you know, in their final game, uh, you know, the, the final home game, someone goes out like the, the court, you know, whatever. One of the key players goes out and, and gets drunk and cuts his hand on a beer bottle and it's a big scandal. And it wouldn't have happened if he wasn't, you know, if he was in a hotel room and it hurts the conference. It could, you know, it could cost the conference millions in a, you know, in a bowl bid. So it just seems like the, the small amount of money that this costs, you know, compared to what you're spending on these athletic budgets and stuff, it seems like it's worth it because just from the protection, you know, uh, you know, angle alone. That that isn't going to pass. Okay, that isn't going to pass. They might make it an option. You know, universities have that option now. They don't have to stay in a hotel. The, a coach has a certain budget, and he does everything within that budget. If schools can't afford it, then they won't. They'll, you know, a coach has to make a decision. I'd rather spend the money on this than stay in a hotel. But uh, most universities want their teams together the night before the game. I, I mean, that's just something that that I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't let happen if I could help it, because I, I went through all the reasons why. Yeah, so you're telling Liz not to worry, no problem, right? I, I don't think tell her not to worry. <laughs> okay, because uh, they'll find a way to get it done anyway. They'll get some hotel to comp it. Okay, well, um, the other the other part of this, it's going to go. You know, we'll see what happens, and I, I think some schools have done this already. But uh, the printed media guides, they did. Uh, we we touched on this a little bit before too. They reduced the uh, pages. I can't remember how many pages, like 200 something, like 210 pages now or something like that. It has to be a lot smaller. And, and there was people that are complaining that the bigger schools would basically print out these enormous like recruiting pamphlets that had all kinds of stuff in there. And it wasn't necessarily for the media anymore. I mean, being in the media, I mean, I enjoy looking at them. It's an easy way to look up stuff. If there's stats you want to get from, there's a lot of history in the media guide. And of course, you know, the stuff on the the current team and, you know, even tra- when you're looking there for travel arrangements, when you see, you know, what, you know when the teams are going to leave for certain games and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I like having that. And it's so big. I mean, you know, we're in an Internet age for sure, and you can get it online. But when you're something that big, I'd rather have it in my hand, you know. I'd rather have something that I could look up and just kind of file away. I have a whole, you know, media guides, I think, all the way back to 1995 or something stacked up in my office. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you, you know, I don't know how much coaches were involved, uh, you know, in the printing of these things, but you know, it's kind of a way for the schools to kind of promote their own promote their own team. 
No, I agree with you. First of all, it started, as you mentioned, a few years ago. They didn't have a limit on the number of sizes or pages that you could have. And I think Ohio State or Alabama had the biggest media guide in the country. People even knew how many pages that were in it. Then they put a number on how many pages it could be. And then I remember on the stationery, stationery several years ago, they put a, a amount of colors and what you could do with the stationery in an athletic department. And now they're, they're talking about eliminating the media guide. I think it would be a foolish thing to do. First of all, they do sell them. They get an income from them. People, the media really refers to this a lot. And the fans buy media guides. And, and they're part of recruiting when you... You know, be honest with you, when you recruit, the kid wants to know about your school, too, and you, you send him a packet that has a media guide and all the players and so on in it and so on, and it's really a nice thing to have in a collection item. I mean, and a lot of people probably at their homes, a lot of Trojans have every media guide for the last 20 years or 30 years or whatever, where they can go back and look up things, scores of the games, who made a big run, all these type of things, and you know, everything's now going to the computer, and they say you can get all that information off of that and so on, which is fine. But I'm a dinosaur, okay? And, and a, <laughs> dinosaur, a dinosaur doesn't do that. A dinosaur, I like to have my media guy right with me. Or if I need to Xerox a page, I just put it in the Xerox machine, and I Xerox what I want. And, and I have it. I can take it with me, and I can always prepare. I don't have to have a laptop to look up anything. And, and uh, every game that the Trojans have, I have the opponent's media guide. So I can read through that and refresh my my mind uh, on the players and what's going on and who's coming back and how many starters are back and coaches' names. And I think it's very important to know this as far as when I do a show or we are together talking, then I know, and I'm, you know, I should know a little bit about the opponent and everything and be able to tell people that. Now, every individual out there doesn't have a media guide, so they, they cannot refresh themselves on all of this type of information. So I would hate to see this happen. Uh, I know it saves uh, universities somewhere around $300,000. That was the figure that I heard as far as when you put the hours that are spent in the sports information office as far as putting the material together, the the, the people, the printing of the of the media guide to this, to that, and so on. But like you and I spoke, why don't they just get someone or allow the NCAA pass a rule where they allow someone to sponsor it? Like USC Media Guide presented by someone. Nike, Adidas. If you're in Adidas school, let Nike and so on throw in a few extra dollars and, and if you're in Nike school or an Adidas school or whatever, then let it be their you know, presented by them. Their, their, their emblem is on every hat and shirt and shoe that the team wears. So, you know, I can't say that, that that's endorsing. A, athletes aren't endorsing a product because they wear everything. The coaches wear the shirts with the Adidas sign on everything else. It's on a lot of the jerseys. So why not let that be part of the package and let Nike or somebody else uh, be the presenter of the media guides for these schools. And, and uh, I think I think it's something that's good. I hate to see everything being eliminated. I mean, yeah. from the past. You know, before long, they're going to say we can only play with six players because it doesn't cost <laughs> as much. Or, or they're going to come up and they're going to say, you know, the uniforms cost so much, so when the one player comes off the field, he's got to take his uniform on and let the other guy put it on, and then he can run in the game. That way we don't have to buy as many uniforms. <laughs> That's a good idea, Coach. Well, I'm going to talk to uh, someone in the sports information department because, I mean, that's work they're going to be doing anyway. There's all the stats in there. They're going to be compiled uh, anyway by sports information. They've got to do programs and everything. All, all that stuff's reusable. I'm sure the printing costs are fairly high. But, you know, anything they sell, I mean, you can make money doing that. They sell a lot of those things. And there are, there are little sponsorships on the back of the media guide. I'm not sure if they could do bigger ones and stuff like that. But, it's it's interesting to me. I mean, it's not like they're hiring some outside firm. I mean, they, they have their, their own internal people put this together. It's mostly, you know, I, I think the biggest expense would be the printing costs. And the most ironic thing, Coach, is when they had these uh, 30 members of the Pac-10 Council meet up in San Francisco, they met at the Fairmont Hotel on a busy weekend where rooms were at least $450 a night. I don't think they were shacking up two or three in a room and uh and there were some p- private jets that even went up there to take people up there so it's kind of funny there's some irony there when the, this is what they're talking about trying to save a few bucks on something that seems pretty important 
No, I agree with you 100%. Why couldn't they have met on a campus somewhere and stayed in the dorm room? Yeah. <laughs> Why not, you know? You, you... you know what I mean? <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, all right, Coach. Well, we appreciate the time, and uh, thank you to uh, – we had a question from Patrick. Thank you to that, and thank you to Liz. Any other questions or comments, always you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. And, Coach, thanks for uh, spending some time with us on your vacation in Catalina. Well, thank you very much for all you uh, people out there, and I appreciate very much, Ryan, the opportunity of talking again, and I look forward to being with you next week. All right, and thanks to Southern California Tickets. Thank you, Coach. We'll be back after this short break talking more USC football. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we are joined in this segment by uscfootball.com beat writer, Dan Weike. Hello, Dan. You're, you're in studio today. Welcome to my house. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. Your, your hospitality just knows no boundaries. Yes. Uh, we're uh, taping the podcast together it's looked sounded better on skype i think we like that on skype we're going to get you a microphone for your computer sound a little bit better but of course the best is when you're in the luxurious studios of uscfootball.com it's it's really a palace we have a fish tank and everything here in the studio isn't that cool a fish tank and and (laughs) and just you know you got a southern woman and (laughs) and an espn writer in the house today yeah 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 we have uh bruce feldman on the sidelines kind of hanging out jenna my girlfriend's upstairs talking southern things and stuff um all right well let's we want to talk some summer workouts uh usc you know after spring football basically if you don't know what happens is that the, the team can kind of come together and do their own throwing sessions They're basically seven on seven eleven on eleven maybe just throwing lines without coaches present that's what they're allowed to do there's not allowed to be any coaches down there when they do these workouts they can do conditioning with coach carlisle and the strength coaches uh, so they can do all kinds of running, jumping, plyometrics, all that kind of stuff. But they're not allowed to do anything with a football in it unless coaches are not there. Uh, USC is nice enough to allow those practices to be open. So we go down there for all of the summer workouts. We get to see the team working out, basically trying to you know keep the rust off, keep sharp, throwing the football around. You get to see all the quarterbacks in action. You can see the linemen go at each other, even though they're not in pads. There's a lot of opportunities to kind of see what this team is doing in between the big practice sessions of spring football and fall camp. Yeah, one of the things that I think is most interesting is that without the coaches there is you get to see what players step up as coaches. You get to see what guys are working with other guys. Um, you know, one of the things I noticed yesterday was with the defensive line, um, Everson Griffin was barking orders and was telling people, you know what, we're always working. We're not sitting down. You know, if, if we've got time to rest, we've got time to do stuff. We've got time to work. It, it's really remarkable. I mean, here's a guy who last year was so firmly in the doghouse, and because of his work ethic and because of, you know, maybe his leadership abilities or lack thereof, now when, you know, you, you remove so many guys from the defensive line, he really has kind of stepped into that void. And I think is with his the way he's working and, and trying to lead by example, I mean, you see him pick up, yesterday James Boyd and work with James Boyd on James Boyd's hands and stuff like that and I mean you know if if you would have told me a year ago you would see Everson Griffin doing that stuff I would have called you a liar I mean I just didn't know he had that in him yeah we started to see that in spring football he did a little bit more of that um you know you know he told us as much that he wanted to emerge as a leader and even some of his teammates were a little skeptical yeah about that they wanted to see well they wanted to see him lead by example and not just say well I'm the oldest guy here now I'm going to be the leader uh, but he has. I think he's stepped up and done that. We saw him work with Boyd, like you said. Devon Kennard, I think, was another guy that he kind of took to the side a little bit. You got to see that. And, uh, you know, them kind of working out together. And it was an interesting opportunity to see the veterans go in the first string and then let some of the rookies, you know, the, the incoming freshmen come in and, and get instruction and get yelled at if they didn't have the cleats on. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. Yeah, no, you know, I, <laughs> I think Simi Villaquite, um, I've 
probably said Sim- that right. Simeone Vahakite. Vahakite. That's that's what Gerard says. So hopefully that's correct. Well, Gerard's he, never been wrong. He's so. good at that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, you know, he comes in and he drops a ball, and uh, the first pass thrown to him, I guess, in his USC career, I, I <laughs> you know, and he drops it. And, you know, the defense just goes nuts because he doesn't have cleats on. He's just wearing, you know, his, like, running shoes or something like that. <laughs> and, you know, there's that. Um, you know, it's funny. Like they, they I think give, Jarvis Jones, too, he didn't have cleats on. They were, they were trying to get him to come into a play and play linebacker. And he was, I'm changing my shoes. And <laughs> we talked to uh, uh, Devon Flournoy, who he went took a shower before he was supposed to. And he was, like, you know, they, they're just figuring out what's going on. You know, like, he went took a shower after the workout, but they were still going to the weight room. And he was like, oh, man, I... So they're screwing up a little bit, but they're learning their way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can remember back to 1972, but, you know, freshman year is tough. I mean, when you when you make that transition, you know, from from high school to college, you know, it's something like where, I mean, you had to deal with, like, the Kent State riots. I mean, you know, these kids are dealing with stuff like, you know, you're not just a new kid on campus. You're a new kid on campus who, you know, if you're Kevin Graff, you're trying to, to block, you know, Everson Griffin or Armand Armstead you know, on your yeah. first few days, you know what I mean? And like, that's, that's enough of a shock to the system. Another kind of funny story was Torrin Harris was out at cornerback and Joe McKnight, you know, moved over to wide receiver. Um, Joe McKnight has played everywhere, by the way, this, we'll, we'll get to that in yeah, a second. Yeah. He has played everywhere, but so he'll, he'll, he'll go out to wide receiver and everybody just starts yelling mismatch, just <laughs> screaming mismatch. And Joe McKnight throws this, throws a, like his own little route. And I mean, leaves Torn Harris like in literally like three, three, four steps behind him. I mean, <laughs> and he doesn't even get the ball. And people are like, Joe, what route's that? He's like, he's like, I'm just working, man. Just working. <laughs> it was, yeah, Joe played a little cornerback too, but it was funny to see them. They really were trying he's to take He's a good cornerback. Yeah, he, I, um, he deflected I, a pass and he intercepted another one. I wasn't going to save this for the war room, but um, oh. can, can I do this here? Yeah, go ahead. With this war room stuff, what comes out on Friday? But Dan, I'll share a little info with you here. Okay, maybe this will still be in the war room too. But um, um, Kevin Thomas, I had a chance to talk to about Joe McKnight playing corner. So I figured I'd go to you know the USC's most experienced cornerback, ask him about it. He said that Joe McKnight would be an NFL cornerback after one year of playing corner in college. Wow, that's uh, he's that's like pretty, I mean yeah. he's like he could play today. He looked, I mean, you know, if you want to watch his hips and all that stuff, I mean, he seemed like he was in the right position. He didn't look like he was stumbling over himself. I mean, he got to the ball quickly. He closed. He looked like what you would expect out of a cornerback, and he's obviously, he's a running back. Let me ask you this. I mean, because you were here during his recruitment and stuff like that, and um, do you think he would have been better served to play cornerback? Uh, I mean, that's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, he's got a lot of accolades just playing tailback because of his explosiveness. He got to play as a true freshman, which I don't think he would have been able to do, uh, you know, if he wasn't a running back. I mean, you got more opportunities early as a running back. I think if he wanted to kind of play a little both ways, it might have been better to start off at tailback because he was going to see the field or or maybe special teams as well. I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting point. They're, they're still because he's on the field. He would probably actually be on the field more as a cornerback. I don't think now. he would have been as a true freshman. No, now, but now I'm now saying might, like you know might. he's not splitting time with you know six other dudes. He's you know he'd probably be a starting cornerback. But he he's not going to get twenty twenty five carries a game. But he still will have two three or you know, who knows this year it might even be more of like hundred yard games get or seventy five yards yeah. receiving. You know stuff yeah. like that. He'll get he'll get his touches and he'll get a few games where he's going to have breakout stuff where. You know, maybe he wouldn't, he would or wouldn't as a corner, but it'd be, I, I want to see somebody kind of go both ways and do that. I mean, it just seems like it's kind of a fun thing to do, you know, to get a guy on offense, get a guy on defense, but Carroll doesn't seem to be into that. Like Steve Smith, we were talking about with him before he went to the Giants. I mean, he played a lot of corner going, you know, and they were, they were thin at corner and Carroll didn't move him over. So it doesn't seem like he's going to do it, you know, anytime soon. Oh no, this is just Joe, you know, doing his own thing, but Let's, can we talk about Joe McKnight for a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. I have, a, I, have a, I have a bone to pick with the national media. Okay. Bunch of liberal hippie. <laughs> all those liberal hippies at Sporting News. Okay. Um, now, that uh, in, their, in their college football preview, they list the biggest underachiever in the Pac-10 is Joe McKnight. And that, that rubs me the wrong way a little bit, I think. Um, not because I'm a huge homer or anything like that, but I, I, I don't think he's an underachiever. He's been good. Look at like, look at his numbers. I mean, how can you be an underachiever when you average seven yards a carry? It's kind of like, I know I've used this multiple, multiple times on this show, but it's like how they say that the only guy who could keep Michael Jordan under 20 points was Dean Smith. 
I think in some ways Pete Carroll is kind of because of the way he's shuffled the running backs in and out has kept Joe McKnight from really breaking out and having that huge, you know, 1,500-yard season. I agree with you, and it's not like he's had like these and he's had injuries. games. I and mean, he's, he's had, had injuries. some injuries and stuff. That would be the only knock against him, I guess you would say, if, as far as underachieving goes. But I think if he was getting the kind of carries that a feature back would get in, in most other offenses, you wouldn't have said he was an underachiever. Is so he I the think biggest underachiever on the team, even? I mean, uh, under. I mean, I don't know. You want to talk about underachievers? I mean, a lot of the times. Well, I don't. I just want to point that out that I don't. I only I want to talk about achievers. You want to just talk about guys that you? you no, know, but I, I think a lot of it's just a subject of the system that he's in. I don't think there's much that he can do about it. I think you know that he's had a couple of games where he has made some mistakes, or if he put the the ball on the turf and yeah. stuff like that. They put him in weird spots too with the the wildcat thing where it just didn't. Oh look my good. gosh, sark, I mean, sark, sark. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't blame that kind of stuff on him. I, w- I certainly wouldn't agree that he's, you know, a, a huge underachiever in the Pac-10. I mean, seven yards of carry, I think it speaks for itself. When you're saying that, when he touches the ball, usually exciting things happen. Yeah, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. It's it's like, you know, I mean, he's really a whirlwind out there. I mean, he can do some great things, and, and you never know. But I think for him, a big thing has been his sort of new attitude. I think he's got um, – he's more team – Team centric right now. He feels, I think, more at home with the guys. He's just, I feel like he's a different Joe almost, you know, not your ordinary Joe. Ugh. That's wow. Terrible. That's, that's a cricket. I don't have a, I'm going to play crickets. Uh, or that price is right. No, but good harmonies, by the I'm, way. Over I, don't there. Know, I don't know what that sounds like since when I was on there. I, I won everything. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, here's a question for you, Dan. I got this. Uh, I was on uh, the radio the other day in uh, ESPN Radio in Austin, Texas, and they asked me straight up, is uh, Damian Williams had you know, the the best receiver on the team? Uh, I, I answered yes. Yeah. Um, Rojo is probably one of the hardest workers on the team, and he's definitely doing what he can. But I, you know, I think this is a really good one-two punch. Uh, I don't think they've had something like I mean, a lot of times you have like a group of guys that – all seem to be pretty good. I think it's going to help the offense that I think there's a clear number one and number two receiver. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, it, this is hard for me to say this because I know people are going to roll their eyes and people are going to be like, yeah, we've heard this all before. But I look at David Osbury, and when I talk to, to cornerbacks on USC about receivers, obviously they, have, they say great things about Damian. They say great things about Rojo. But when they talk about Osbury, like, they get a little hint of fear almost, or, or, like, admiration sort of for a guy that big, that strong, and that fast with good hands. I mean, it's it's pretty, it's a pretty unique combination. Um, I mean, people who don't, I mean, a lot of people might only see him in pads. You know, we see Osbury in T-shirts and shorts, and it looks like he has pads on. Yeah. <laughs> Still, I mean, like, he... Like Taylor Mays light or something. Yeah, no, I mean, he might be bigger than Taylor Mays. He's, he's taller than Taylor Mays. I don't like wider too. I mean, he is gigantic. Yeah, I, I don't know. Taylor's in a kind of class well, know, by himself. Yeah, no. I mean, I remember the first day um, I actually covered any USC events. Um, Ryan, you picked me up. You brought me out to, I believe it was like a six a.m. workout. Thanks again for that, by the way. I appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. Um, and this was Osbury did not have his uh, his braids in or his, his dreads. He just had a gigantic afro, and he was like the second dude I saw. And I was like, "Oh my god! Like, like, who are these people? Well, and like, why are they set, why are they so gigantic?" You're like, "Wait, that's an eighth string wide receiver! Holy crap! What, <laughs> yeah, what kind of team is this? Like, who is that guy? And why has he never caught a pass? No, but um, he's a guy who I think is could maybe be the most productive receiver they have based on his skill set. Obviously, Demi Williams is just so polished and he's so mature. Um, you know, he's smart. Um, just knows football. He's a leader. Um." Obviously, I think he is the um, the kind of cream of the crop when it comes to the receivers. But I would almost think that Osbury has a chance. I hope Rojo's not listening to this because Rojo's my guy. But right. But you know, I, I really think Osbury has a chance to be you know a top receiver on this team, maybe even the best. No, he. I think I think you're right about that. He's kind of like a guy that I mean, he uses his size well. Like Patrick Turner, people say he was kind of a little soft for as big as he was, and I think he's still going to do well in the NFL. But I think. Osbury does use his size well. It's kind of like a guy with a, you know, overpowering serve in tennis or a 95 mile hour fastball that 
you know, maybe you're, you're, you're not as afraid of Greg Maddox, but Maddox is a better pitcher. But there's something about Osbury that people, other people don't have. He, no one has that kind of combination that he has. And even though he might not be as good a receiver, he could definitely develop into one. But he does put that, like, I think you put it right. I mean, he can put some fear into defensive backs just because of what he brings at the top of his game. Well, you can't jam him. I mean, you can, no. you can maybe, if you, if, you make, if you read the snap count right and you have excellent instincts, you can maybe jam Rojo. You can maybe jam Damian. I don't know how, how you'd ever jam Osbury unless you're, you know, a defensive end out there. I mean, there's really no, no reason, no way to do it. He's just so big. And, and I mean... We talk about Pat, you compare him to Patrick Turner. Turner was slender, though. I mean, Turner wasn't like a thick guy. I never looked at Patrick Turner and was like, "Oh my gosh, he's gigantic." He was like I mean, cut he's up tall. and stuff. And tall, I mean, he's yeah. tall, but he had like those kind of long muscles. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't jacked. Like Osbury is jacked. <laughs> Osbury is huge. He's, oh, I, I, I can't even. Well, it's I, funny, you know, you talk about putting fear into defenders you know he might not be the best receiver but maybe he does cause the most fear kind of like a curtis mcneil isn't the best running back but he might he might be the one that the defenders are the least happy about having to tackle you know just the you know they can do it but it's just harder than the other guys yeah i remember when taylor in the spring said that he uh, hates trying to tackle curtis mcneil because you know if there's a player that's going to make him look silly it's like the five foot six guy who's gonna sneak around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you know, squat, powerful legs. Or like, and, yeah. yeah, you know. I'm, I mean, remember? Uh, I think it was during uh, during the fall when he put a helmet into Ray Maluga's chest and knocked Maluga back. Yeah, you know. And it's just like that's a dude that, that is that's like impressive. Literally <laughs> one tenth the size of Ray Maluga who did that. But he's like mini me or something. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah it's pretty remarkable. But I mean, I don't know. I think that. Um, to get back to your question, is Damian Williams the best receiver on the team? Yeah, I do. I think. I, yeah, I think he is. But, okay. But just because he's the most polished, what else do they ask? You? Anything else that I? Can uh, do? I mean, seriously, that we talked about the prices right a lot. I mean, Jeff Ketchum is the uh, publisher for the Texas rival site. Now, I'm Orange really, Bloods, I'm, I believe. Yeah, Orange Bloods. I'm I'm really good friends with him. So he co-hosts that radio show. So. When he heard, he once he heard about the prices, right? He wanted. I mean, most of the interview was me talking, like he was asking me questions about that. But you and your new best friend Drew Carey and Drew know. Carey, yeah, and uh, the co-host uh, Chad Hastings, like his wife friend requested me on Facebook because she wanted to see the video. It was pretty funny. Like they all got into it. It's, how how it's has amazing. how has local celebrity been treating you? It's. I mean, just my friends and stuff. Just people that don't haven't heard about it. It's really funny to hear. You know, when they come up to me like, oh, my God, there's so many people. It's a shame you're in a committed relationship. Uh, you know, no. I love <laughs> Jana dearly. That's good. Uh, we had a blast, though. It was good. But let's get back to workouts. Okay. Um, okay. So last week, last Thursday, before the Rising Stars camp, USC held a, one of the, their team runs. Carlisle runs all the guys at 630 in the morning. They run them ragged, 45 minutes or so. And then they'll throw afterwards. And, and you guys were down there. Uh, it was interesting. The, uh, the freshmen were down there. Most of the freshmen were there on campus. But they didn't really let them throw. Uh, they weren't really part of the throwing session. But we saw on uh, on Tuesday, they actually did. They came out in the morning, and, and the freshmen mm-hmm. kind of took part in those workouts. And did you talk to any of the guys about that, like you know, integrating the freshmen and how they're coming along? Yeah, I mean, everybody seemed to think that um, you know they're doing well. It's like I, like I said before, the fun part is watching those guys kind of coach. The older guys kind of coach the younger guys. I mean, you get to see – you know, Josh Pinkert stand with Juwanza Starling, TJ McDonald, you know, uh, and just pretty much everybody in the secondary stands in the back, and then they'll look from where Pinkert, you know, kind of through his eyes, and Pinkert will be pointing and saying, this is what I'm seeing. You know, there's this. Like I said, Everson Griffin working with James Boyd, Devon Kennard. Um, you know, Loney Fangoop is a little different because he's more of a, a man already. He looks like he should be in the NFL right now. I mean, he he looks like he's 30 years old. He's a big dude. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, he does not look young. But then, you know, watching like Chris O'Dowd work with John Martinez and stuff like that and and Devon Flournoy like hanging out with, with Damian or, and Rojo and, and those guys and kind of it's just good to see kind of that those older guys. I mean, these are the guys that are going to be fighting with them for their playtime, you know, really. I mean, you know, Pete Carroll's not afraid to play a true freshman. You know, like he won't they don't care how many starters they have returning. I mean, ask ask Aaron Corp. Yeah. If, you know what I mean? If Pico's really afraid, I bet you he thinks that Matt Barkley could play. Matt Barkley could take his job in a minute. So, you know, I think uh, it's just good to see that they put the team first and that they work with these guys and that they try to integrate them as quickly as possible because I think they know that ultimately if they get those guys playing at a higher level, they're going to have to raise their games up to keep 
to keep going and to keep their spots. So I think ultimately it's best for them to have those freshmen playing well. Yeah, and if some of the guys that passed the eyeball test, I think we're, we'll have, we have pictures up on USAFootball.com. The first picture is up anywhere on the internet about all the freshmen here gathering for these workouts. So you can check those out on the on the website if you want to see what these guys look like. But to me, Jarvis Jones, gigantic. Like, yeah, he looked like he you know gigantic. He he fit in. It wasn't like you know and uh, and Telford too. I think he looked. I mean, he's not as tall, uh, but he seemed like I mean, he's a real. He's kind of a quiet kid, but you know, real heady, and you know, everyone knows he's he's a smart guy. But he looks like he could play linebacker. He'll he'll, he'll be all of our bosses. Yeah. Frank <laughs> <Tilford>. <laughs> He's, but no, uh, those, who else do you think? I mean, Fangupo's huge. Who else did you think? Like, I think you know? T.J. McDonald looks physical, like physically, and Juwan's a Starling too. I thought was it was a big guy. Uh, Marcus Simmons looked good. I thought. he did. Yeah, he's cut up and stuff. He 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 had a shirt off. We have a picture of that with a shirt off. You can see that. And he's uh he's definitely worked out before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not like you. No, no. He um, he's more familiar with the weight room than I am. <laughs> And uh, more familiar with the weight room, less familiar with Big Walk or any other buffet. Um, no, and then uh, I, I'd say those are probably the guys that stood out most for me. I mean, some guys like Flournoy, I didn't know he was that small. Like, Devon Flournoy is small. He's um, not real big, no. I mean, he's like, what do you say? It was like 170 or something like that? Yeah, yeah. He's. I mean, if he seemed like a super sharp kid, though. And, uh, yeah, he yeah. Can, and he can move. And, uh, and, and like, like Simeone Vahikite. 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 I mean, he looked good, like good size on him. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, and I thought the linemen looked good. You know, I thought Martinez was, you know, sometimes the linemen look a little soft. I didn't think Martinez looked soft. No. I thought he looked kind of like like a, kind of a pretty firm guy. And he looks like a center. He definitely looks like a center. Yeah, he I think he, he was working with Chris O'Dowd there, you know, taking snaps and stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, Kevin Graff is a, just a big, big Gigantic kid. Dude, yeah, he's yes. a big kid anyway, but. But yeah. Jar- Travis Jones, I think, looks like the most physically ready to play. He looks old too. Just he kinda, does, yeah, he well, has the, Greg the, Oden disorder. <laughs> you know, um, like Tyron or, or Ty- maybe Tyron Smith is more a USC centric guy, where a guy who comes in at eighteen years old and looks like he could be my uncle. He, he came at seventeen. He was like he turned he eighteen 17? during the season. Like it was crazy. He yeah. had he had LeBron face, really bad, <laughs> the really bad case of LeBron face. But no, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I I think that they look like it looks like a good group. I mean. The chances that Pete Carroll um, is going to hit on everybody the way he felt like he hit on everybody last year are probably not as good. There might be a miss in there somewhere along the line. But I think, you know, right off the bat, I mean, when you look at those guys and, and you think about maybe, you know, Patrick Hall's maybe on his way too. Um, Five-star guy. You know, it's not like he's, he's less likely to be a miss than some of the guys. That, yeah, you know, I mean, you, you add him to the mix and, and, you know, you look at a guy like James Boyd who just looks like crazy athletic. I mean, yeah, you know, you watch him with his hands and do defensive line stuff, but then you watch him throw the ball around, and you're like, oh, wow, and yeah, do that yeah. too. <laughs> he outdueled Matt Barkley when they played each other at, yeah. at quarterback. Like, he, it was not he rushed him. I mean, he was rushing him, but he also yeah, he outthrew no. him. <laughs> did Barkley line up at defensive end in that No, game? Barkley didn't uh, for whatever reason. I think he normally did but, uh, <laughs> for that game. He but, I mean, but like all of those guys, I mean, it's a good class, and, and I think, you know, USC fans should be pretty happy with it. All right, well, we'll be all over that. Again, check out uscfootball.com. We'll have – videos of the freshman in action going up on the site we also have photos up there so you can check all that out dan thanks for coming into the studios and joining us thanks for opening your house to me ryan i'm gonna go raid your fridge and uh hopefully get some good stuff in there excellent all right everyone else quick break we're gonna come back and talk the usc rising stars camp with gerard martinez you are listening to the peristyle podcast from los angeles california Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk some recruiting in this segment, our final segment of the podcast. We have Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com recruiting analyst. How are you doing today, Gerard? I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited because last camp, Rising Stars, it's behind us. July is here. Coaches are on vacation. Uh... Recruiting starts to it starts to ease off a little bit. We got some nice passing league tournaments coming up, but uh, 
the big uh, the big evaluation periods for UAC have basically uh, they've passed. So you know now it's time to kind of focus in on what the what the targets are and, and maybe what the class is going to look like here uh, as it develops during the fall and over the winter. All right. Well, yeah, it's kind of a slow. May's real busy. June's kind of busy. July kind of slows down, but it starts to pick up for the team stuff. So we'll try to we'll take over the reins a little bit for that for for the site if that's okay, Gerard. We'll we'll do some more team stuff and that you know take a backseat for recruiting for a little bit. Sounds awesome. <laughs> you need a break. You, you deserve a vacation because you're all over everything. Um, we had a couple questions. No international questions today. Hopefully that's all right. Oh, but I know. Good. Um, and we'll, always cool. They're, they're they're unique. You know. I mean, you just you know how how people are able to follow the team. You know, an ocean away. It's always kind of you know, what kind of questions are asked, and and sometimes they're 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 really good questions. You know, people are really on top of their stuff. Yeah, I mean, they love to follow the recruiting and stuff, and. Uh, you love talking about it. I love talking about it with you. The, the first one's from Mike. He wanted to know, there's a, a JC Lyman, and he's talking about Lyman being a big need for USC uh, 2010. There's a JC Lyman from College of Sequoias in California. I think it's, I think it's uh, pronounced Roselle Gaden. He's a six foot seven, 310 pound uh, sophomore at, at the College of Sequoias, a uh, highly ranked JC guy. Is this someone that you think that USC is uh, looking at? Yeah, possibly. I don't know a lot about Gaiden. Um, I think he's actually a, a, originally from Minnesota. He's definitely an out-of-state guy, and, and Carlos Sequoias always gets those kind of players. I mean, they've actually got Sheldon Richardson is uh, transferred there, and he was a five-star defensive tackle from Missouri and uh, was actually listed as, as the top tight end in the nation and was in the original Rivals rankings, Rivals 100, last year. And uh, about 6'2", 6'3", 300 pounds, was an Army All-American uh, great player, and he ended up going to college scores, which was a surprise because you'd think he would go to a junior college that's closer um, to him, maybe somewhere like Blinn, Texas, or something like that. But he ended up at College of Sequoias. Uh, so, you know, USC is always looking at College of Sequoias. I mean, every college basically on the West Coast has to look there. Um, they've always got top talent, uh, but it's always going to be that issue with USC specifically whether they can really recruit those junior college guys. It's tough for them. It's tough for them to be able to get those guys in. They've got Bryce Schwab, who's committed, who's a, a 6'8", you know, 320-pound offensive tackle from Palomar, which is down in San Diego. And um, so, you know, he's originally from Pennsylvania, but that's a guy that, you know, his grades are, are better, and, and, he's, and he's trying to get out midterm. He's trying to get out in December. Um, I don't know about Gaiden. I don't know if he's going to be able to get out in midterm. And sometimes that's really uh, what's important for USC. They want to be able to get those junior college linemen out and be able to participate in spring ball. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I don't know enough about Gaiden in terms of uh, his grades and, and where he is academically because – you know, talent is one thing, but when it comes to the JT linemen, that's really the important thing in terms of their academics. So uh, with him specifically, I don't know. But, yeah, USC is definitely evaluating uh, college scores, definitely. All right. Uh, this one's from Kevin, uh, more about the Rising Stars camp. Uh, he wanted to talk about some 2011 guys. Besides guys like George Farmer and, and Jalen Grimble, do you see USC offering more 2011 guys like uh, DeAnthony Thomas or – Anthony Wallace, and he mentioned uh, Greg Townsend Jr., who actually did get a scholarship offer uh, at the Rising Stars camp after, I think it was Thursday afterwards, he went up to the coach's office and got an offer. Yeah, uh, Townsend did get an offer, and Townsend is definitely going to be one of the top players up nationally next year. Um, he, is, he is tremendous. He has the bloodlines, obviously, but this is a kid that we saw earlier in the year, and, and honestly, I mean, he was touted as a linebacker, and he, and he just... I uh, looked a little pudgier, like they had a little baby fat. He looked like a younger kid, and this was, you know, just basically six months uh, before the Rising Stars camp. And then he came out uh, last week and just was tremendous. I mean, he's, he's a good 6'3 and a half, 230, 240 pounds, and, and reminds us a lot of uh, Devon Kennard in terms of his build. Uh, really great lower body, explosive, has tremendous moves, and is technically very sound. I mean, he's a guy that uh, has a lot of moves for a young player. He doesn't rely on one specific move. He's not just a speed rusher, not just a guy that's going to try to spin you, or he's not a guy that's just going to try to bull rush you. He can really do it all. So uh, that's a guy who's a tremendous talent, and USC is actually the first you know school to offer him a verbal scholarship. Uh, these kids don't really get written scholarships until September 1st. Um, that's when you know the, that they're able to receive written materials from these colleges uh, September 1st of their junior year. Uh, but uh, you know, Chris Westerman's another guy who got a scholarship offer. He was tremendous. That's a kid that's probably going to be maybe a future five-star uh, out of Chandler, Arizona, plays for Hamilton High School, 6'5", 285 pounds. Uh, but there's you know other players that showed up that didn't get scholarship offers. That, yeah, 
I think from the Rising Stars camp are definitely guys that, that are going to be in line for scholarship offers down the road. Victor Blackwell played extremely well. He's a 6'1", 190-pound uh, Z receiver from modern day who played you know, all last year with Barkley and was kind of like the guy as a sophomore, was really the only playmaker that modern day had on that team. And he came out and he looked really good at the Dana Hills passing tournament and turned around and, and so you know, uh, some good explosiveness. And he's a guy that a lot of people looked at as a possession receiver, you know, in high school. But he's guys, you know, speed-wise, he's come along, and I think he's a guy that USC's definitely going to look look at along with uh, George Farmer. And it's you know a good year as we talked about 2011 for receivers. Um, but Blackwell seems like he is going to be one of those guys at the top of the board. Antoine Woods is another guy that came uh, for the first day of the Rising Stars camp. Um, he also showed up to the Lyman camp and was definitely the best lineman, uh, at least defensively, at the Lyman camp and was one of the best defensive linemen at the Rising Stars camp. He didn't get an offer. He was going to have a meeting with Pete Carroll and the coaching staff over the weekend. That didn't happen. He's actually uh, gone over to Penn State for an unofficial visit. I don't know if he was actually going to camp there, but he did take an unofficial visit there um, this past week. And uh, So it's going to be a school maybe to watch out for him. But that's a guy I think that uh, on the line, you know, maybe look at his academics, maybe look at some other variables. Uh, but probably a guy that's going to be in line uh, for a scholarship offer. But there was, you know, there was a few kids there. You know, we did a ten of Troy rising juniors, and I think all those kids. Um, you know, Kessler, I think Cody Kessler out of Bakersfield Centennial High School, six one one eighty five. Height wise, I don't know if he's going to be like a USC guy, especially if USC goes after a quarterback this season. You know, what they do next season is going to be interesting. But uh, that's a guy that you know we have to watch and, and see if he's going to actually be a scholarship guy. But uh, all the rest of the players that actually met the ten of Troy rising juniors are probably guys that you know USC is going to look at and and are guys that have potential offers down the line. Yeah, Blackwell was someone that really kind of stood out to me. You watch him. He just made a lot of plays uh, at receiver there. And, and Westerman as well. I mean, he got really he mixed up. But I mean, there's so many good defensive linemen, and it just seems like they were dominating the offensive line. But Westerman would stick his nose in there and, 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 and make some noise for the offense, which there wasn't a lot of noise for the offensive linemen at that camp. I think the one thing coming away from the camp is uh... – the feeling like it's too bad Chris Westerman is not a, a senior to be. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think USC wishes they could kind of get him done and, and committed and, and ready to sign for next February because he was definitely, you know, just body-wise, I think you have to compare him to a Chris O'Dowd. I mean, he's a guy that has the NFL frame. He's got the great feet. Uh, he's, he's got, you know, above average athleticism. And it just has all these intangibles as offensive linemen that you really want. And, you know, USC's going to have a great shot at him. I think that uh, they're definitely going to be in the driver's seat for him. Uh, but he's two years away, and as all these kids are. Um, you know, we're talking about Devon Blackman is a kid that uh, just chatted with the other night. And uh, he's a guy that's just finished the camp circuit and uh, was did some great things at USC's camp, did some great things at UCLA, won the MVP at Oregon's camp. And that's a kid that, you know, as a receiver, he's about six foot. 175 pounds, dynamic player, uh, doesn't really have a scholarship offer from USC yet. It's, it's kind of a, you know, hinted, you know, if it came down between UCLA and USC, what would you do? There's been some conversation there back and forth, um, but I think down the line he's definitely going to be a guy that will be a scholarship offer guy. So, again, I think with the receiver position, it's mainly just looking at the depth and making, you know, the right offers because, you know, outside George Farmer, there's a lot of other good guys out there. I mean, we even saw at the skills camp um, one, of, one of the top players um, to be at a, at a Chaparral High School, uh, a kid who's you know, a good 6'4 and, and, and 180 pounds, um, uh, Antoine Arnold, who who's a lot of people think might be, at the end of the day, the best receiver in that 2011 class. I don't know if he's really going to be able to, to, to compete with the farmer in that manner because farmer is – you know, just watching him, he looks like he's gotten even a little bigger. He didn't participate in the Rising Stars camp this past week, but he did show up for his unofficial visit, and he picked up uh, his scholarship offer. But, I mean, he looks a good 6'2", almost 6'3", now, and he's strong and he's thick, and we know he's played uh, some great ball there at Sarah High School over the past couple of years. So um, the receiver position is stacked, and that kind of makes uh, this whole thing as far as, you know, early offers. You have, to, you have to be careful and not just offer everybody early because you might find a guy, you know, down the line who ends up being uh, the best of them all. All right. Uh, last thing we wanted to get on, maybe just a, a, a couple names that were kind of standouts. I mean, like Jesse Scroggins, the quarterback, I think he impressed people. He ended up getting a scholarship offer. And, you know, we talked about the defensive line a little bit. Man, there just seemed like a lot of guys over there that, that really it's made names for themselves. Oh, the, the defensive line was tremendous. I, I think defensively the camp was one of the best camps uh, ever held at USC. Um, when you have a defensive line, uh, I mean, 
well, the defensive line, when the, the first rotation that we saw the first day was, uh, I think you had Ronald Powell at strong side. You had uh, uh, Jeff Shirley. What was it? Was it Josh Shirley? Josh Shirley. At, uh, weak side. And you had uh, George Uko and Ricky Himalui. Um, uh, you know, that, that was your, your starting defensive front line. And, yeah, and it looked like it could start was, in the Pac-10 somewhere. So that, oh, you know. yeah. And then, the, and then the second group was like Jackson Jeffco at uh, strong or weak side defensive end. And then uh, they brought in Jalen Grimble. So, I mean, it was like, oh, well, they actually have an all Pac-10 rotation here uh, on the defensive line. And then, you know, just to mix things up, this coaching staff decided to pull uh, Ronald Powell, Justin Macklin, and, uh, and Josh Shirley and put them back to linebacker, which, you know, it was like the old lobby team there. Uh, as far as you know, th- just looking on them on the hoof, and uh, and then on the defensive line, you still had uh, guys like uh, well, Uko didn't show up the second day, but um, you know, you, you you had the potential Uko and, and Ricky Humalui, Jeff Coat, and Jalen uh, Jalen Grimble there. So it was it was a tremendous defensive class in general um, for this camp, and uh, I, I think that's where the guys stand out. Ronald Powell is, was as good as we thought he was going to be. Uh, maybe you know the the theme for us, I guess, coming away from it was that, you know, uh, it kind of was what we expected, not to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but you, you, you kind of knew the guys that were going to come in, expected them to really perform well, and, and they kind of did. You know, Ronald Powell was as great as we thought he was. We didn't think he was going to go and, and really play much linebacker and maybe thought he'd play some strong side, but he ended up playing middle linebacker and was tremendous playing middle linebacker. And it's a position that he has played before, but never against that level of competition. And he looks like a guy that they could legitimately recruit at linebacker. Somebody said, hey, offer uh, number 55 uh, on the peristyle. You know, offer that number 55 to Ronald Powell. You know, that's maybe not a bad idea. No. He looks like that <laughs> level of guy yeah. that you would want to have, you know, playing at the, playing for number 55. And uh, so, I mean, some of those guys, Jeff Coe played really well. Uh, the defensive guys that we thought, you know, Uko was definitely a guy who was in line for an offer, got an offer. Um, I think, you know, maybe – some of the surprises or at least some of the things that we, we weren't necessarily expecting didn't necessarily know if Macklin was really going to make it in. Um, you know, there's always that, that thought, you know, the, the rumors that, you know, there was going to be maybe a guy that from out of state that would uh, make that cameo appearance uh, to USC. Macklin shows up. Unfortunately, I think, you know, watching him play linebacker, which is where he's ranked, he's a little too stiff to play linebacker. I think that's one thing that kind of surprised me. I thought he'd be a little more agile and have a little more awareness in space. I think he's definitely got to play defensive in college. He's a good-looking player, and I think with his hand down, he'll develop. Uh, but in terms of, you know, just his, his flexibility, I don't think he's going to be able to play linebacker in college. So that was something we saw. You know, we saw that um, – uh, you know, DeMarco Cobbs, uh, 6'1", 200-pound receiver out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. We knew he was coming in. I think that was maybe one guy we expected a little more from. He's very athletic. He met our expectations in that manner. But whether his athleticism translates to playing receiver is still a little bit of an unknown. Um, you can have a guy that can run fast and is big and he can jump. But whether it's, you know, you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole is another question. And, and I think with DeMarco Cobbs, he's a guy that plays as a dual-threat quarterback uh, in Tulsa and isn't really a receiver. So he's raw, and you have to take that in consideration. But there's also some little – there's some other questions there just watching him. You know, he's really athletic, but is he really athletic as a, as a receiver? I don't know. Um, that maybe is a question. And, and so there were some questions and some things that came up that, you know, maybe were, were, were not to the expectations. Um, but uh, I think from, for the most part, coming away from the camp, we, we saw what we thought we were going to see, and uh, it was just as good as we thought it was going to be. And it's still, you know, I think prestigious-wise, just the best camp in the nation. I mean, USC just does a tremendous job bringing guys in from all areas, and the competition level and the intensity was as good as it's always been, and uh, it just seems to grow every year. Yeah, I mean, you got a guy like Justin Macklin out of Tennessee that, I mean, you saw him with this tight little shirt on, and he was jacked. And he could be the star of some of these other camps, and he was just like somebody else at the USC camp. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he definitely looks apart. I mean, you got him committed to LSU, and, he, and, and USC's still able to bring him in and, and whatnot. But um, I think, you know, USC got to see what they needed to see from him. And I just I don't know if I see, you know, that necessarily developing down the line at all uh, in terms of him being a target for USC. And, and when you have a guy like Josh Shirley, I mean, Joshua Shirley, he's not going to get the pub of a Jack, uh, Justin Macklin, um, and he's a local guy that a lot of people can overlook, but he kind of is a Justin Macklin of the West Coast. He's a, he's a, he's a guy that's a defensive end, really made all of his marks as a defensive end, and probably in college people want to move him back as a strong side linebacker. 
he does well when he's playing up on the line, he's engaging the tight end or he's engaging the receiver on the line and he mans up against them. But when you put him back in space, there's still some questions here whether he's really going to be able to adapt. And a lot of people feel like his best position is to be an outside linebacker but in a 3-4 and not in a 4-3. So that's something that uh, you know, we're going to have to watch and, and see how that develops. But you know, does USC need to go to Memphis for a guy like Justin Macklin when they can recruit like a guy like Josh Shirley who's local? And, and, they, and they have to do some work on Josh Shirley because he definitely likes UCLA. Uh, he, you know, ironically, talking about Justin Macklin from Tennessee, <laughs> Josh Shirley likes Tennessee. So uh, we'll kind of see how that, how that shakes out down the line. But USC made a really good impression with him. Uh, we just put a story up today on, just, uh, on uh, Josh talking about USC and the Rising Stars camp and how USC may have pulled in uh, to, to you know contention a little more with UCLA and, and Tennessee now uh, as he tries to make a decision and, and goes through the recruiting process. He's going to take some visits. It'll be a while before he actually commits. We had, that's, that's a good topic for the future. We've got to talk about all the athletes. that I don't think you saw USC and Tennessee on, on many of the same – athletes in the past and now you're seeing it a lot popping up usc and tennessee with kiffin being there so we should probably if anyone has any questions you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com but that's probably a good topic for later on gerard yeah uh well tennessee is on a lot of guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) they're on a lot of lists uh, (laughs) yeah culture gerard's kind of taking the old miss shotgun offer uh, strategy and and you know they had something like 85 offers out before March or something like that. So I mean it's uh, yeah definitely guys out in California, but I think you probably could say the same about Florida and and, and Georgia and <laughs> South Carolina as well. They've definitely gone out and and when you when you're recruiting Tennessee or I should say you're recruiting from Tennessee, it's not necessarily a hotbed. Um, and you know that the, the thing that's really funny is that they sent all these offers, you know, out of state, and then they lost out Justin Macklin, who ends up at LSU. So, I mean, they got to work on that one. They got to make sure the first and foremost thing you got to do is put up some gates around your home state and your local area when it comes to recruiting. You can't let other uh, SEC teams come in and pluck away your top players, and then you're really strapped. You have to go out of state and. Already, you you know if you're you're recruiting at Tennessee, you're going to have to recruit Georgia hard. You're going to have to recruit Florida hard uh, because that's where the majority of the players are. Tennessee is still not a huge state when it comes to you know the quantity of top players that you're going to be putting out there. All right, we'll definitely bring that up again so down the line in a future podcast. But thanks, Gerard, for spending some time with us and uh, sharing your insights. No problem. All right, everyone else, thank you for tuning in. Thanks to all of our guests. We'll be back next week talking more USC football. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 